Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. incredible weekend. Um, for me personally, incredible month. Uh, a lot of overwhelming things has been happening. Uh, not just bad things, but just really strong decisions, you know, that will kind of change how things, how we will be affected as a family and, and whatnot. Uh, sickness, my son's sick, pray for him. He's on the recovery end, so pretty good. Sorry, am I not allowed enough? Hello. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm just kidding. I won't talk like that. Uh, <laughs> cool, awesome. Um, but the Lord is so good and he's so faithful. In these moments, it's almost like he's, to me, it was like he's been the closest he's ever been. Uh, and so I want to talk about worship. And we've been here for, uh, in this series for three weeks, right, before this. And if you haven't heard the messages by Pastor Andrew, I suggest myhomechurch.org. Yeah, or on podcasts, they're amazing. And if you allow it, your heart will be drawn closer to him, uh, Jesus, not to Pastor Andrew, <laughs> to Jesus. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it's really uh, wrecked me in the most beautiful way, um, both by conviction and, uh, and in love. So, so yeah, so I want to talk today about worship. And um, specifically, I want to talk about worshiping in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain. Um. This means a lot to me uh, for a few reasons. One, um, I have been through some stuff, and it's been through those moments that when I lift my heart in sincerity to him, uh, I feel him so close. I feel his love. So, it's so real in those moments. I found that my, the, the biggest growth in maturity has been when I lifted my heart to him when things were just hard to do that. And um, most of my drawing near to him has been in moments of pain and moments of darkness where I looked to him and, and he was always there and he always came and he always comforted me and he always touched me in such real ways and I just thank God for it. Only God can take suffering and, and bring, bring victory from it. Only God can create growth in your heart. Only he can do that with suffering. And if you don't know him, suffering will only take away from you. But in Jesus, suffering will always produce something. Um, and when you worship him, you'll always find him. He'll always be there. He never leaves or forsake. He cares about you, and he cares about your suffering. So much so that we see at the cross, he entered a world of suffering. And so um, I want to talk about that. But not only what it's done in my life, but also uh, what I've seen it do in other... Um, uh, I had... I'll get into it more, but as an unbeliever, I've seen others worship God when things were hard on their lives, and something happened to me that it, it exposed me to the reality of Jesus. Uh, as an unbeliever, when I was in pain and when I was in suffering and I had stuff just going wrong, um, those circumstances just took from me. It, it brought me to slavery, brought me to depression, eventually suicidal um, thoughts and, and whatnot. Um, while I watched others who were deeply in love with Jesus have kind of like the same circumstances happening to them, life was just happening, opposition, and they were still madly in love with him. They were still rejoicing, even in the midst of that stuff. And while suffering took from me, suffering produced something in them, and it spoke to me. As an unbeliever, again, my destination was hell. 
I was going to, if I were to die, and the risk was high because I was a drug addict, I was an alcoholic, I was driving while doing these things, and uh, by God's grace, he had allowed me to, to know him, but it was through these, the, the witness of someone in the midst of pain still worshiping Jesus, I saw, man, if, if suffering can't take Jesus away from that person, this thing must be real, and so... Um, so I just want to say, as, as true worshipers, we'll worship when things are not going right, regardless. And I, and I want to look at a story, one of my favorite stories, but um, it's going to be in Acts 16. Uh, Acts 16, 25. What's happening here is that Paul and Silas are missionaries. Uh, they have made it to Macedonia, to a leading colony, a Roman colony. And so what they would do is they would come there and they will find the place of worship, usually their tradition uh, or their way, and they'll just declare the glories of God. Uh, they'll do what God has commanded us to do, heal the sick, raise the dead. And we see throughout the book of Acts these amazing stories of faithful men who love Jesus, but not everything always went well. And so... Uh, Paul and Silas, as they make their way to their place of worship, there's this slave girl who's possessed by a demon. Um, this demon allowed her the ability to tell the future. And so her masters made money off of her situation. And so Paul and Silas, they're going, they're making their way to their place of prayer, and this lady's just antagonizing him every day, like day by day. And finally, Paul is like, I'm just done with this. I'm annoyed. He cast out the demon, like, easy. It was just, you know, get out. And so he does. Um, and so now the slave girl can no longer tell the future, and her masters no longer can make money. And so they're upset, and they gather together, the rulers, the, the people, and they bring accusations to Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas were immediately stripped, were immediately beaten, and were tossed in jail. And so this is the context of what we're about to read. Right? This is the background. This doesn't seem fun. Um, anyone would like that? No? No, it's not, it's not fun. They were stripped. You know, it, it was just not good. But this is what we read in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. We're going to stop there, actually. Yeah, that's a good place to stop. Okay, so, so with all said and done, uh, Paul and Silas were not complaining. Uh, they were not beating themselves up about the circumstances that they were in. Um, if you notice, that they were Roman citizens, both of them, in a Roman colony. The way that things kind of transpired should not have been that way. They shouldn't have been beaten the way they were. Accusations were brought, and it wasn't looked into. Um, and so they suffered a great injustice as citizens. But not only that, they were, Paul was led there through a dream. And uh, Paul was doing what God has called him to do. He was casting out demons here. And we see stories of him raising the dead, of, of healing the sick, preaching the glories of God. So you got to ask yourself, what, what would you feel in this moment? Um, you're not only suffering great injustice, right? Not only is people coming against you, you're finding opposition, but you're actually where you are because you were led by, by God, by doing what he's called you to do. And so um, they're kind of the ingredients of saying, no, I, I don't want to worship right now. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, that's what it feels like from the outside. But I guess what I want to talk slightly about is, is um, our circumstances shouldn't drive our worship. 
uh, there's been many times I've seen people in, in Teen Challenge uh, where they have these awesome, amazing encounters, and, um, and then something happens, something goes wrong, something goes contrary to what they want to be done, and they just turn away. They just leave the faith. And it's funny because worship has brought me life, has, has, uh, has brought me joy, has brought me great peace. And so in them forsaking worshiping Jesus, they forsake the means by which they experience him and experience life and experience joy. And so when they turn away, they actually, I've never met someone who's encountered the Lord, turned away, and then thrived. Never met that. Uh, as a matter of fact, they, they enter into deeper slavery, probably worse than before they met Jesus. And so what we see here is that Paul and Silas are singing and praying to God. They're not, this is not a result of their circumstances, but it is a result of who they came in contact with. You don't sing for the sake of, oh, someone just stubbed my toe. You know, I, I'm not going to sing because that was the, that's what produced it. No, I, I'm going to sing because something has happened in my heart and is causing great joy. And so I think what Paul is being driven by to sing here is not the circumstances, but by enjoyment in God. I'll say this, worship for me has been the expression of enjoying him. And so I'm going to kind of walk through this, bear with me. It's hard for me to articulate everything that's going on, especially this weekend. So I'm going to do my very best, but I'm going to say here, Paul and Silas were driven by enjoying him. So God's invitation to know him, it's, it's, a, it's not just an invitation to come in proximity with him, but it's, a, it's an invitation to actually commune with him, to be intimate with him. Uh, it's, it's an invitation. God is life, and to come to him, you just don't have life. You get to enjoy life. He gives it abundantly. He's peace. You don't just stand in front of peace and then just say, all right, well, I made it. No, you, you enjoy peace. And in a world where I think we're driven by pleasures, and joy. We do things according to what will bring us most fulfillment in that aspect. We need to know that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence, there's a pleasures forevermore. Fullness to be abundant, plentiful, more than enough. Forevermore means it never ends. This is what happens when you encounter Jesus. And so um, when you truly know him, when your heart truly opens up and sees him, all at once, it's like your longings are satisfied. You, you no longer, your search stops there for everything that you've been looking for in the world. And so our worship is not just external. It's not just expressions. It's not just dancing. It's not just yelling, Jesus. It's not just what you see on the outside. There needs to be a heart dimension to it. Um, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, they, uh, they had everything right on the outside. You know, they, they did the A through Z religious activities. They fasted, they prayed, they went to church, they did everything. Um, and Jesus talks to them and says uh, in Matthew 15, these people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. Jesus is not looking for your works. He's not looking for your service. He's looking for your heart. And so here he says, uh, in vain do they worship me, meaning all of what they were doing, although it appeared like worship, because their hearts were far away, it actually wasn't worship. So worship is not just the external things that you see, that everyone gets to see, but it's also not just inter internal. It's not just a heart thing. 
when your heart sees Jesus and finds pleasure and finds enjoyment, it cannot remain silent. It does not remain inactive. The expression will look different. Uh, we're all different. I think we can learn from each other's expression. My wife loves to dance. I dance terribly. <laughs> but I have done it, and I, I found some freedom in dancing. I think we can learn from each other's expressions. But it's not just the expressions. Our hearts need to be there. Jesus is looking for your heart. But when he gets your heart and when you see him for who he is, you'll find that you're completely pleased and completely filled with joy. And it has to bubble up into praise. It has to bubble up into worship. However that may look like, it is your heart. When he captures it, it's done. It's over. Something's going to happen. And this is why we worship. We worship because we have seen him in the midst of darkness, in the midst of drugs, in the midst of alcohol, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of distancing and breaking relationships around us. We have seen Jesus. We have found healing. We have found acceptance. We have found family. And we moved into something that was greater than all of that. And so, Worship is not just external, and worship is not just internal. I want to look at uh, Psalm 95. Um, I think we have it, and we'll read more than just one verse. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I just want to show this. The psalmist, um, maybe I should, I have paper here, sorry. Um, it's like my desk at work. Okay, so we'll see. Verse 1, it says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And then verse 3 tells us why. Because it, it says for, which is because the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. The psalmist is seeing God as maker, seeing God as creator. He is fascinated by it. And so he's saying, let us worship. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us sing songs of praise. And he continues in verse uh, 6. He says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for, for because he is our God, and we are the people of his pastors, the sheep of his hand. He's not only fascinated with God as creator, as maker, the one who made the sea, which is vast and huge, the mountains, which is glorious. He's fascinated by God in this way, but also who God is and who he is in relation to each other. You are my God, and we are the people of your pastors. And when you see God in this way, you can't help but bubble up. Now, notice also, he's not just talking about himself. This is not a singular thing that's happening, right? Uh, he sees God as maker and something spilling up where he has to tell others about it. When you find joy in Jesus, you have to, it just doesn't stay to yourself. It has to spread. That's why the Great Commission is an overflow of what happens when you're saved. You just can't help but just go out and tell people about Jesus, how awesome he is. We do it when a nice car, you know, goes by and it's like, oh, you know, hit them, the guy next to you. I'm a regular guy. I drive a, a Honda, so I drive regular cars. But some people, you know, they have these nice cars and stuff like that. You hit your friend. You know, Ferrari's down the road. You hit them and say, look at this. This is what praise is. We, we all praise something. We praise our children. We tell people about them. But when you are fascinated with God, you just can't help but keep it. You can't keep it to yourself. You have to invite others to do it. So let's we see the verbs, we see, oh, come, oh, sing, make joyful noise. But he's saying, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us bow before him. Let us worship him because of who he is. C.S. Lewis says this in uh, Reflections of the Psalms about praise. 
But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poets, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. When we see him for who he is, his beauty, his glory, it has to spill out into worship. This is what worship is. And so Paul here, he suffers these great mishaps, this great injustice, and he's not driven by just not, uh, his worship is not driven by circumstances. If it was, I don't think there would be a lot going on there, but he has seen something greater than that, than his pains and his trials and all this stuff. He has seen Jesus, who is more than enough and is greater than his trials, and so he's able to sing songs. Now, how do we worship in the midst of pain and suffering? It's simple. We just see him and we enjoy him. That's it. We come to him and we let him reveal himself to us, which he's, he loves to do. Um, and we just sit there and enjoy him. We behold him. We look at him. We study him. Look at every facet that we can. He's utterly amazing. You can't exhaust the beauty of Jesus. So I think enjoyment is driving Paul. But now what about the pain and suffering? These are real things. We're people, we talk to each other. I understand that there's tragedies, there's loss, there's um, great difficulties happening. But enjoyment not only uh, allows us to jump into a place of worship, but enjoyment gives us, it sustains us in the midst of persecution. It sustains us in the midst of suffering. So, for instance, joys, can be, joys in this world can be stolen. Uh, it can be taken away. I had a skateboard, and um, my relationship with the skateboard was that the skateboard was here, and I was right next to it, um, pretty cut up, and a little bit of crying, and, um, but I love that thing. I, I used to ride it everywhere. It had big wheels. I could run over rocks and whatnot, and then one day I left it on my lawn, and it was stolen, and uh, so, and it was a nice neighborhood. It was, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. I'm getting a little bitter now thinking about it. <laughs> I'm about to cry now. No, um, so it, you know, so it once supplied joy to me, but now it was gone and no longer does so, and um, joys can be overcome by greater joys, right? I um, I will say I love Chinese food, and if it didn't kill me and I had the money to do it, I could eat Chinese food probably five days a week. Um, yeah, I know. I'm a boneless and spare rib guy, beef lo mein, forgoing naps, you know, crab ragoons all the way. But my love for tacos greatly outweighs my love for Chinese food. And so the Chinese food doesn't lose its, you know, what it does for me. But tacos is just much better, and so I'll forsake Chinese food for the sake of tacos. All the... <laughs> Illustrations with Caesar. Um, so, <laughs> not only that, we, we will make sacrifices for that, those things that we enjoy. Um, I've been deeply convicted about my health and whatnot, and um, it feels good to, to work out and to eat right, and it brings joy to me. Um, I feel more focused, more attentive, and I'm like kind of up and down with that, but I know what it feels like, and I would have to sacrifice my favorite activities, sitting down, 
laying horizontally. Um, for the sake, for the sake of running, I hate running. I think that's from the fall. Yeah, I, I'm just not a, just not a fan of it. But I'll, I'll have to forsake running. <laughs> Amen, sister. Um, I'll have to forsake uh, my favorite activities of sitting down for the, for the sake of running because my joy for feeling good greatly outweighs those other sacrifices. And what we see here, Paul, he has found a joy that never runs dry. He has found a joy that will never end. It is pleasures forevermore. He has seen Jesus, and Jesus has been more than enough. And no one can take this away from him. No one. No one snatches anyone from the Father's hand. Nothing can separate us from the love that's in Jesus Christ. No trials, no persecutions, none of that. And so this is the greatest of joys. And Paul is pretty clear about it. He sacrifices in Philippians 3. He lists a long list of like boasts that he can boast in uh, for sake of arguing someone. Uh, he forsakes his social status. He forsakes his zeal. He forsakes his biblical knowledge. He's saying, I count that as rubbish for the sake of knowing him. To die, he's willing to die. To die is gain. I'll share in sufferings in order that I may know his resurrection. Paul has found something that utterly satisfies, and he can spill out in worship in the midst of pain and suffering. So if I don't want, uh, there's nothing more profound that I have to say other than if you see Jesus, if you can open your eyes to, to just take a look at him, block everything out. We were learning yesterday, this is I mean, we encountered him so frequently, almost nonstop for eight hours, and then it kept going. I left. I went ice, uh, to get ice cream with Eric, and I still felt the presence of the Lord on me. It was crazy. Every word almost led to tears. That's how good he is, man. So awesome. But when we see him, we will enjoy him, and when we enjoy him, we will truly worship in spirit and truth. And not only that, um, It'll sustain us in the midst of suffering. So there's more I want to say. Uh, but I think I'll say this. Uh, let's just close our eyes. I briefly spoke about... Um, how to worship in the midst of these things. But there are also effects of worship in the midst of these things. Because of Paul's faithfulness and just loving Jesus, others came to know Jesus. Paul worshiped him. And not only witnessed to the other prisoners in the same boat as him, but the doors swung wide open. And Paul didn't use the doors swinging open as an excuse to just leave. He knew that his freedom was pointing to another man's freedom. The jailer who was going to take his life did not because Paul cried out, no, we are here. And the jailer comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? I think it's ironic that although Paul was in chains, he was free, unrestrained, unaffected by the situation. He was still able to sing songs to the Lord. But the jailer who closed the door was actually bound. 
What must I do to be saved? To truly worship Jesus, we must know him. To worship in spirit and truth is to be born again of the spirit. And so I just want to pray for you. Uh, Some of you guys are going through some stuff, and it's hard, and I understand. But Jesus is worth it, and he'll provide life in those moments if you just turn to him. And so I'm just going to pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your love, God. I thank you, God, that you're not indifferent to our sufferings. I thank you, Jesus, that you see every person here. And I thank you, Lord, that that you are working something for good. And I pray, Lord, that you would just open our eyes to see the perspective even that Paul had. Consider, count it all joy. And I just pray, Lord, that right now you would just touch every mind, every heart. You would remove the cloudiness that these circumstances bring. And God, you would allow a gaze. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631 693 4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.